We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Today, Bridget Griffin shared a video of her daily yoga routine, two self-help articles, and her new blog called Build Your Inner Bridge with Bridge. Girl, your sharing has turned into oversharing. No worries, Bridge. Geico has some info worth sharing with your seven blog followers, like how you could save money on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim just by visiting geico.com. How's that for building your inner bridge? Bridge, Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code RotoWire when you deposit on DraftKings for a free contest entry today. It is Monday, August 31st. I'm Nick Whalen, joined as always on Mondays by RotoWire's Derek Van Riper. Um, we're going to talk week three of the preseason. Regular season kicks off a week from this coming Thursday. Obviously, a ton to talk about there, uh, a lot of anticipation for that. Um, DVR, how's it going this Monday? Oh, it's going great. I've got a best ball draft we did this morning. Took a little longer than expected. Uh, those drafts take a while, though. And for that uh, that format, if you haven't heard of it before, it's a league where you draft all the players you're going to have on your roster all season. You don't make any in-season pickups. And then week to week, you get the best starting lineups worth of players from your roster against somebody else's. So uh, you can do head-to-head. You can actually do like a total points sort of thing, too. I think the total points makes a lot of sense because it's so random as far as like just how often you're going to have certain players go off that uh, having the best lineup week in and week out, regardless of who you play, I think makes the most sense. So strategically, I think what you do, you bump up guys like Deshaun Jackson in a league like that. Uh, maybe you have two quarterbacks that you take a little earlier just because you want to max out those points every week. Like, for example, 
I took Breeze and Matt Ryan within, I think, a round or two of each other just because I want 20, 25 points, even 30 points from one of those guys each and every week. And in a season-long league where you had to make that decision, you'd probably make the wrong decision more often than not. So it just kind of eliminates the tough lineup call and uh, it makes it more fun, too, as you go through the later rounds. You're just taking flyers on guys that could be good. I mean, I got to round 23. I rolled the dice on Miles White from the Packers because he looks like he's going to make the roster now. If he wrestles away the third receiver job from Jeff Janis uh, or from Ty Montgomery, I mean, that could be a huge source of value. It could be a total dud pick, but you want to mix in a few high upside guys late just in case things break their way. So with no in-season pickups or moves at all, like what happens if both Breeze um, and who's your other quarterback? I got Matt Breeze, Ryan. Matt Ryan. And what I happens took, if both those guys go down then? I took Alex Smith too. I mean, everybody in this league tried to get three quarterbacks. Even some of the backups that are likely to get a chance to start at some point, even those guys were taken. Like Johnny Manziel was taken. I know Geno Smith will likely push Ryan Fitzpatrick. Once his jaw heals, he was drafted. Uh, so you're, you're going to have... You're going to have all sorts of different stuff. Uh, Mark Sanchez, I think, got picked up, too. I mean, I think as long as Bradford's healthy, that's his job all year. But uh, it does leave you in a bad spot. And I think we got to a point where early on the quarterbacks were falling a little bit. And then as soon as round six hit and guys like Breeze and Peyton Manning started to go, there was a huge run on quarterbacks. I think by the end of round 11 or 12, most teams had three already. Yeah, that sounds like a fun format league. I'd never heard of that before, but uh, is that something you can run online, or do you basically have to score that manually? Now, MyFantasyLeague.com actually can run leagues like that. They're they're great. I mean, it's just one of those formats that requires no in-season maintenance. Uh, good way to add an extra league without having to worry about doing the weekly pickups and the weekly lineup changes and things that can cause you to you know make a mistake, and that's always the worst thing. If you're in too many leagues and you have to make... 10 different sets of pickups and 10 different sets of lineup changes. It's so easy to screw something up. This kind of makes it dummy proof. Yeah, I had my first draft tonight, actually. I'm kind of glad I waited as late as I did this year just with all the injuries that we've seen. That's just half-point PPR standard scoring, so not too much to talk about there. Um, Just a reminder before we get into the top news of the day, the podcast is now available for subscription on both iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave us a nice review if you happen to be listening on either of those platforms. You can also listen excuse me, on CastFire, or you can stream it straight from the RotoWire website. Just go to rotowire.com slash pod, um, and you'll see all the podcasts that we have, not just the fantasy football. Um, top news of the day, personal top news for me, and hopefully some other people, Josh Scobie traded from the Jaguars to the Steelers early this morning for a late-round pick. I haven't seen a report yet that's disclosed exactly what that pick will be, probably a sixth or seventh rounder. Um, I don't know. I mean, what a way to wake up this morning. I have an alert on my phone that Josh Scobie, the Jaguars' all-time leading scorer, longest tenured player, is off the roster. Uh, I had to go to the DMV this morning, too, to get a new parking pass. It's just like the two worst possible things I think that could maybe happen on a Monday morning have happened. That's about as bad as it gets, I think, as a Jags fan. Your all-time leading scorer is gone, longest tenured player, as you said. Uh, Kind of the franchise face right now uh, for that team. Going to Pittsburgh, getting an opportunity to play for a contender. I, I kind of worry about the health of Josh Scobie now because the Steelers have had just horrible luck with their kickers, Sean Sweesham tearing his ACL in the Hall of Fame game, Garrett Hartley getting hurt against Buffalo on Saturday. Uh, so Josh Scobie, man, it's like Final Destination 14. I, I don't know what's going to happen to him, but it's probably not going to be good. No, no, it's not. And like you said, at least he gets to jump to a contender. I think you kind of like this from a fantasy perspective, just a team that figures to move the ball a little bit better. Um, although the, the Jaguars offense did look quite good on Friday night, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, obviously we don't want to dwell on this move too much, but Scobie was due to make $3.4 million next season. So I, I think that money might have been a factor. And, and you know, Pittsburgh, like you said, a team that's ready to contend um just really doesn't want to take any chances by bringing in an, an unproven guy and they, they went out and got probably the most proven guy available and one of the most consistent kickers in the league over the past decade yeah you got jason myers now taking over in jacksonville so if you're in a really deep league like a 20 team league where every kicker gets owned at some point he'd be your guy he's had a pretty good preseason i think he hit a 55 yarder at one point so i mean it should be a pretty seamless transition massive shoes to fill there uh, but this is a guy that that kicked at Marist, where I think Rick Smiths played basketball like 30 years ago. So probably the second famous, at, second most famous athlete to graduate from Marist. Yeah, also a former arena football guy, so a bit of a journeyman as a lot of kickers tend to be. Um, but you know, a farewell from from Jaguars Nation to to Josh Scobie. Uh, probably the actual biggest news of the day is RG3. On his way out in Washington, it sounds like. Um, you know, this was never really much of a marriage from the start. As soon as Jay Gruden got there, um, those two never saw eye to eye. I think that's been 
covered about as heavily as any story this offseason. And, you know, it looked like RG3 was on pace to begin the season as a starter and what was basically going to be a make-or-break season for him, at least as far as his career in Washington goes. He goes down in Week 2 with a concussion, gets hit over and over by that Detroit front line. The Redskins bring him back to practice. The NFL steps in, independently rules him out with a concussion. Um, it just seems like this Gruden-Griffin marriage has just gone. It's just getting worse and worse each week. So RG3 is currently out with a concussion, and we're not sure when, when he's even going to be cleared. And then in the meantime now, Gruden steps in and names Kirk Cousins his week one starter and says he's the quarterback going forward. So it doesn't sound like this is just an interim situation until Griffin gets healthy. Um, is this the end of RG3 in Washington? It probably is. I mean, even if it's not a trade or a cut right now, I can't imagine him having more than a start or two over the course of this year if he sticks around. I could see them going back to Colt McCoy. Uh, I could see a coaching change happening by like week five or week six. I mean, the Redskins have a week eight bye. Does Jay Gruden make it that long? I mean, like that's a reasonable to me. That's like a 50-50 proposition right now. I, well, they, they seem to be split as far as the front office and the coaching staff on what to do with RG3. I think the front office, for the most part, is in favor of keeping him around. Obviously, they gave up so much in the 2012 draft to get him that it's hard to just part with a guy like that um, You know, when you, when you gave up so many assets. So I don't know. I don't, I don't see Jay Gruden making it through the season. I don't think the on-field product is going to be good enough to really give him much, much of, a, of a leg to stand on, I guess, when he's already on, you know, on thin ice with this ownership group. I mean, we're not going to see a, an Illinois Tim Beckman situation where he's fired a week before the season, are we? I don't think it's going to get to that point. Uh, I think with Gruden, he's going to have a chance to prove that this team can take a big step forward from where it was a season ago. But it's, it's amazing to me that such a well-oiled machine in Washington could have a hiccup like this. You know, they just seem like the model franchise for, for so many different reasons. It's uh, really surprising to me that this is happening there. Yeah, we compared them to the Sacramento Kings on the podcast last week. I think they've surpassed the Kings. Like they make the Kings look like like the Spurs at this point, and it's just it's just a bad situation to be in. And you, I don't see them getting out of this anytime soon. You know, I don't know if a coaching change is going to be the difference this season or the difference in a couple seasons. I mean, they're so far away from contending when it looked like just what two years ago, and when they were in the playoffs before RG 3s torn ACL. Yeah, they look like one of the one of the mo- the biggest up and coming franchises with one of the biggest up and coming players in the league, and it's just complete 180 since then which version of Kirk Cousins do you expect to show up I mean if he's going to be the starter to keep the job and and to keep Colt McCoy even from taking it away he has to be more like the guy he was in 2013 than the uh, gong show I think as you shout out to Mike Doria yeah I mean that's that's the Mike Doria expression Uh, the, the gong show that he was last year I mean Kirk Cousins wasn't even close to the same player he was two seasons ago when he had chances to play last season so I, I just wonder how much of their struggles are the result of inconsistency in the offense I mean Kyle Shanahan's departure prior to last season uh, left him I think with the league's youngest offensive coordinator that could be part of the problem too uh, you have questions now as to where Griffin ends up in the long run is he actually done as far as being an NFL starter I don't think so there's teams out there starting Josh McCowan Brian Hoyer as long as they're are guys that bad, those kind of low-end veteran types who really just don't bring you a whole lot of, of excitement or upside, as long as those types of guys are getting opportunities to start, there's always going to be a place for Robert Griffin to go and compete for an opportunity. Where it's going to be next, I honestly have no idea. I mean, we talked about the Texans and how they kind of sat back and clearly are going to be a team that are looking uh, at quarterbacks going into the draft this coming spring. I don't know if he ends up there or if there's a different team that actually sees him as an immediate upgrade. I mean, do you see a system that would be a good fit for RG3? I, I don't know. There's not, I don't think there's any one place that you think he can step right in and, and be back to 2012 form all of a sudden. Um, yeah, I think so much has happened between now and then that that's not really something that's realistic to expect. The biggest thing for any teams that are looking at him is going to be that $16 million he has guaranteed um, if he gets hurt. So if he suffers a season-ending injury at any point, he's locked in you know, at, that, at that lump sum salary. Um, so if the Redskins do part ways with him, I don't know if a trade is going to be feasible just because at this point, is it worth the media circus that comes with that high salary and the risk of an injury um, you know, for a guy that's been as dinged up as anyone in sports for the last couple of years? So if they do part ways, it'll probably be a cut, and then he'll have to sign a new deal with another team um and, and you know and that's where things get kind of fun to speculate you know like you mentioned Houston as a team that that really doesn't have a solid quarterback situation um I've seen people on Twitter this morning mention the Cardinals obviously they're expecting Carson Palmer back but he's getting up there in age he's been banged up um you know the Jets you know always are in play for for moves like this especially with their quarterback situation with uh you know Geno Smith set to miss several weeks 
And then you could even look like, I don't know, I mean, I'm just going to throw it at a team like Denver. You know, they don't, they don't have any questions for this season at starting quarterback. But if you can bring in RG3 on a cheap deal, you know, after he's cut by Washington, it's just kind of a, hey, you know, you're not going to start this season. Nobody's supplanting Peyton Manning, but, you know, bring him in. Why not? A low-risk option to, to compete with Brock Osweiler and, you know, maybe two or three years down the road. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a team like Denver could be the solution. Arizona makes a lot of sense only because Palmer's had such a, such a checkered injury history recently. I mean, it's just been such a, a terrible drop-off for the Cardinals. Anytime they've lost Palmer, and a few years ago, the, they had the same problem. I think it was Kevin Cobb was the starter at the time, but their, their drop to their backups has been as bad as any team's drop-off, regardless of who's been starting for the last three or four seasons. So to have a guy that can come in and possibly win you games right away, that could be appealing just to have that guy on your bench because things have been so bad there for so long right and I I think it's it's an interesting asset you know if you can pick up RG3 for cheap just to have on your bench but at the same time if we're talking RG3 long term what's best for his career I don't know if it's realistic but I think a spot where a team is going to be committed to him for at least a full season is what needs to happen I don't know if going to another place like Houston where they're just going to throw him into the fire with, with two other quarterbacks who they're unsure about um, and he's basically back where he was in Washington. I mean, the franchise isn't, you know, this is a hypothetical, of course, but, you know, the Texans aren't nearly as dysfunctional overall as Washington. But I think what RG3 needs more than anything is a staff, an organization, management that's comfortable with him um, being the starter and just not having everything be a week-to-week question mark. Because I think that's really ultimately, along with the injuries, of course, you know, what ended up being the undoing of him in Washington. is just you draft a guy number two overall, and all of a sudden a year later, there's just no confidence in the guy. And I, I think that's a really difficult situation to ask someone to handle. Um, so I'm very interested to see how this turns out. Um, I guess I'm a little disappointed, at least, in how the Redskins handled it as, as a guy who supports RG3. It seems really personal to me, um, to Jay Gruden, especially his side of this. After you know the questionable decision to leave him in the game against Detroit after taking all those hits, I mean, there were a couple coaches who anonymously came out and said they couldn't believe that he was still in the game and no coach in their right mind would leave him in there. And, you know, there's, real, there's no concrete evidence to point to it being personal. But it's, this all just seems very, very Jay Gruden versus Robert Griffin. And, and uh, in the situation, Gruden holds the upper hand. And he, he's the ultimate decision maker in this case. And it's just, I think it's a tough decision because it's not going to end well for either guy. No, it's, it's not. I mean, Gruden's going to get fired and Griffin's going to get a chance to play elsewhere, I think, is the way this ultimately mm-hmm. resolves itself. And it may, again, it may take all season. I could see Griffin just being stuck on that roster throughout the 2015 season, but barely getting a chance to play, and, and that wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I do think Houston could be a good fit for him, though, because Bill O'Brien, we're still not really sure what he is as a head coach, but I, I think maybe because of what he did for that one year he was at Penn State, he kind of built up a lot of confidence with me like in, in sense of he can just make the best of a, a bad situation. That was a horrible situation for completely different reasons, but everybody expected Penn State's football program to be horrible the year that Bill O'Brien was their head coach, and he made them respectable on the field. And that's, uh, to me, that's a pretty big achievement. I did it with a, a young quarterback at the time. I think Christian Hackenberg was a freshman. Uh, he's got experience from his time in New England. I think he's going to be able to make Brian Hoyer probably just as efficient as Ryan Fitzpatrick was last year, and that was good enough once Fitzpatrick got that opportunity. So if you just think about that situation being an upgrade for Griffin, if he ends up in Houston at some point, working with Bill O'Brien, having guys like DeAndre Hopkins uh, as a lead receiver, maybe having Arian Foster to hand off to if Foster gets back later this year, I mean, that could actually be a pretty nice situation for him because he won't have to single-handedly win games the way he's been asked to throughout his time in Washington. It also seems like the organization has always had a strange relationship with Griffin. I mean, it goes back to when Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan were running this team, too. I mean, Kyle Shanahan seemed like he adapted the offense in a way uh, where he took a lot of elements of what they did at Baylor, and that's what made Griffin productive at that time. But at the same time, it was Mike Shanahan who was pushing him out there already with a bad knee, eventually leading to the full ACL tear, and then he was in charge when they decided to bring him back as quickly as they did the following season. So, the, the neglect for RG3 has been pretty consistent throughout his time with that franchise. A fresh start elsewhere can only be a good thing. Is RG3 really to blame for any of this? Um, you know, two, two different coaching regimes, I guess, have basically fallen into the same situation with him where he's at odds with everybody. And he, I mean, he doesn't come off as an overly controversial guy. You know, he's made a, a few statements here and there that have you know, kind of irked people a little bit, but he's he's not Terrell Owens for this team you know he's not he's not becoming a huge distraction and like you know I don't know RG3 personally of course and I don't think you do as well but we, we are not we are not I mean, there has to be something about this situation that the public doesn't see um 
you know that that that's kind of caused such friction with two different regimes. Yeah, I, I don't I really don't know what to make of it, but you look at the big drop off in his rushing yards, especially from year one to year two. Again, year two coming off that knee surgery, that's got to have a lot to do with it. This is a guy that rushed for 815 yards over 15 games as a rookie, hasn't been nearly as effective as a runner since then. I just see a lot of potential still here. We're talking about a guy entering his fourth year in the league. Far from done, in my opinion, again, because we have so many teams that start mediocre mid-30s quarterbacks that have really no business being more than backups at this stage of their respective careers. So it may take a full year, but I think he lands on his feet with an opportunity elsewhere. Yeah, and we've seen quarterbacks in much worse situations end up getting second, third, fourth chances. So I'm not worried about RG3. I just hope he lands in the right situation. Another quarterback competition was settled this past weekend. Tyrod Taylor has officially won the Bills starting job, beating out Matt Castle and EJ Manuel. So he'll start week one against the Colts. Um, a pretty encouraging performance from him this past weekend. Only had one incompletion in the Bills win. Didn't have a touchdown, but played efficiently. And I think that's what Buffalo is looking for more than anything out of their quarterback this season. Yeah, I mean, I think they also realize that Taylor brings more to the table than the other two options. Uh, as long as he's not turning the ball over like crazy, this could be a good team this year. And their best chance of not only getting to the playoffs, but winning games in the playoffs comes with Tyrod Taylor becoming a top 15 or even a top 20 type quarterback, whereas EJ Manuel and Matt Castle, for me, both would have fallen short of that mark in this role. I mean, there's some weapons here. Sammy Watkins is a great yards after the catch kind of guy. You can find him short uh, intermediate routes and, and let him do some damage. Taylor can do damage with his legs. I think that's also going to open things up for the running game a little bit. Could be good news on a per carry basis for LaShawn McCoy and the rest of the Buffalo running backs this year, uh, having Taylor kind of change how the defense has to play the run now. Yeah, exactly. I think, like you said, he is the highest upside of the three guys. You know, the the least experience at the NFL level, um, but the guy that can end up maybe having the biggest impact for a team that I think thinks they can get to the playoffs. You know, maybe in a wild card spot if things break the right way after just missing out by a game last year. Um, other Bills news: Fred Jackson released today, oldest running back in the league at age thirty four. Which I was a little surprised to find out. That seems really young to be the oldest at a position group, but. Yeah, I guess it's not too surprising considering the the youth movement we've seen at the position over the last five, ten years. Yeah, I think with Fred Jackson, too, he came into the league after spending some time in Canada, so that also uh, kind of pushed his development curve back a little bit as far as the mileage for age. It's enabled him to stay in the league a bit longer than other players at that position. I do wonder if there's going to be interest from other teams. Dallas, I think, immediately came out and said they have no interest right now. I think it's mostly because they have a guy in Lance Dunbar who they think is a good third down back. It's first and second down. They're still trying to sort out with uh, Joseph Randall and Darren McFadden. Fred Jackson probably ends up somewhere. The Patriots maybe are going to kick the tires. Uh, I could see the Texans maybe looking at him as an option if they think he's an upgrade over Chris Polk and Alfred Blue. I think that's a possibility. So he'll, he'll probably end up on a team, probably still be decent in deeper PPR leagues for a week or two over the course of the year. If he ends up on a team with a, a depth chart that's very thinned out, could end up with more volume than you expect and end up being a viable flex option some weeks. But uh, a guy that just didn't fit anymore in Buffalo because of the depth they had at the position. I mean, even if they let him go, they have Carlos Williams, who they took in the fifth round. They've got Bryce Brown, who they flipped some draft picks for. And they've got Anthony Dixon. All three of those guys lined up behind LaShawn McCoy. I think all three of those guys play special teams. Fred Jackson doesn't at this stage of his career, and that ultimately kind of sealed his fate. Yeah, just trying to get younger at the position. Uh, obviously, Jackson's been as productive as any backup running back over the last couple of years. Third leading rusher in team history. Um, but yeah, I guess it's an end of an era. It's, 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 it's strange not to see him sitting at number two on the Bills depth chart for the first time in nine years. Um, but like you said, I think he'll land somewhere. Even if, if it's not before week one, there's going to be an injury at some point, um, probably multiple, and there are going to be teams that are going to need some depth. So I, I'm not, I don't think this is going to be the end of Fred Jackson, but by the end of the season, yeah, it might be time to, to look into retirement. Football season is just a few weeks away at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com is America's favorite one-week fantasy football site where you can win enormous cash prizes every week. Last season, eight players won a million dollars in one day just playing fantasy football. Don't just dominate your season-long leagues in 2015, but also play one-week fantasy at DraftKings.com. Head over to DraftKings.com now. Enter the promo code ROTOWIRE for free entry. DraftKings.com, bigger events, bigger winnings, bigger millionaires, Enter Rotowire for free now at DraftKings.com. All right, so we want to get into preseason week three. Uh, we'll recap each game quickly, go over the big fantasy news, um, any injuries we'll hit that we didn't mention uh, in the opening here. 
And we'll start with Friday's games. There were three games on Friday, a couple on Sunday, the majority, of course, on Saturday. Detroit 22, Jacksonville 17. And we're not just starting with the Jaguars because I want to. This is the order that, that they're listed um, on ESPN.com <laughs> because this is the first game that started on Friday. Um, the big news out of this one was TJ Yeldon making his debut after missing the first two weeks. The team was a little cautious. He had a hamstring injury. Mostly unimpressive. Uh, I went back and watched the game yesterday. Um, eight carries, 10 yards. Longest rush was only four yards. So not, not maybe the debut that people were hoping for from a statistical standpoint. But I will say he didn't have much for running lanes, and he was getting hit almost immediately almost every time he carried the ball. Yeah, I mean, Detroit's defense, losing in Dominican Sue, Nick Fairley, that could be a big deal, but they did bring Haloti Nada back into the mix. So I think their defense could be pretty solid overall. I don't know if Nada even played in this game. I think he just came off of uh, like a pup list this morning, actually. So I don't know. Detroit's defense, I think, I think could be one that's actually pretty strong across the board. Can't read too much into this for Yeldon. Uh, the former Mr. Lindsey Duke, it looks like, had a pretty nice game. 20 of 29, 245, a touchdown, four carries for 38 yards. I saw Scott Pianowski of Yahoo uh, talking about it on Twitter a little bit. It seems like Blake Bortles looks like a totally different guy out there than he did a year ago. Yeah, he did. He did. And he was getting the ball out quickly, making decisions that just, you know, he was he was sacked more than I think only one or, or less, or excuse me, more than only like one or two quarterbacks um last season and wasn't sacked at all hasn't been sacked in the preseason um a guy who's just been getting rid of the ball much more quickly making quick decisions um a lot of it has been I think simplifying things from from what I saw a lot of you know four five six yard uh you know out patterns curl patterns not moving the ball quite you know down the field trying to go for those home run throws that he did as much as a rookie um and just he seems to be more aware I guess of where receivers are on the field you know, I think adding a couple more weapons has helped, but he looked great on Friday. Uh, like you said, 20 of 29, played into the third quarter, played the entire uh, first half, and then played just one series in the third quarter. So you got to wonder, you know, if you prorate this across a full game, this would have looked like you know easily his best performance as a pro. And of course, it is the preseason, and you know, and it's important to keep that in mind. But yeah, Bortles has looked great so far. Um, only four games with at least 245 yards last season, and you know, he started 14 games. So. Yeah, I mean things are trending in the right direction there. Obviously, the Jags still have a ton of a ton of room to grow, but an encouraging performance even in a loss. I wanted to touch on Rashad Green, a little bit of a sleeper pick for this team, a guy who's probably going to start the season as the number three receiver, as the number one slot guy, especially as Marquise Lee remains hurt. Not really sure when we'll see him back on the field. He had three catches, twenty-five yards, and also returned punts. So it looks like he's in line to to get some time on special teams. Nick Marshall also returned a punt. Uh, you might recognize him as the former Auburn quarterback, switched into a you know, kind of a cornerback slash return man uh, role for Jacksonville. Not sure if he's going to end up making the final roster, but if he does, he's a name that could sneak into that punt return uh, battle. And then Alan Hearns, four catches, 42 yards, and a touchdown. Alan Robinson, just two catches for 14 yards. Hearns has been the better receiver in the preseason so far, and I think Robinson is the guy they want to emerge as the number one. But, you know, if you had to you know, gun to my head right now, if I had to say who the number one receiver is in Jacksonville, it's probably Hearns. Well, it might just be Hearns based on the fact that Allen Robinson might draw opposing teams top corner more often mm -hmm. than not. And I think as a result, Hearns gets more exploitable matchups. I love that he can get downfield the four catches for 42 yards and a touchdown in this one. I've got him as like my fifth receiver in the Roadwire Stake League. It's a 16 team league where we start three. So he'll probably get a chance in week one. And at least until Marquise Lee gets healthy, I think Hearns will see a decent number of targets on a week-to-week -week basis. He was kind of a pleasant surprise, I think, last year uh, at times, kind of flashing some value. Week one last year was one of those big games that he put up. I'm curious to know what you think of the Jags offensive coordinator, Greg Olson, talking about Marquise Lee. He said, he's to me like the albino tiger at the zoo. You get there, and if you're lucky enough to get him to come out of the cage and see him, it's a good day. I've only seen him three times since I've been here. Those three days, he was very impressive, but he's only been out three days. So we're hoping we can get him healthy and see him a little bit more, end quote. An albino tiger at the zoo, comp. Did you make that his official nickname? I don't think. the albino <laughs> tiger. <laughs> I don't think that's going to stick. I don't think so either. But, yeah, I mean, that's an accurate summation, I guess, if not a little bit of an odd word choice there by Olsen. But, yeah, I think... I think that's basically what I've been reading all offseason. When Lee's there, he looks good, but he's just not been there. And that's, that, this was the same story last season and, and last offseason, even after the draft. So a guy they spent a second-round pick on, the last thing you want to see is you know, missing huge chunks of training camp in the preseason. I guess we just have to wait until he's healthy at this point. Um, 
I don't know if that was supposed to be a compliment or kind of a, a backhanded slight at this guy can't stay healthy. I, I think Greg Olson just really likes going to the zoo. I think that's all that is. Yeah, and we unfortunately we got all of our zoo talk out on last week's podcast. I, I know it's, it's too bad this didn't happen last week. Mm-hmm. Um, other notes from this game: Matthew Stafford looked very sharp for Detroit, eleven of fifteen, hundred and seventy-three yards, two touchdowns. One of those to Golden Tate, who just abused second-year corner Aaron Colvin, um, a guy that Jacksonville kind of stole a little bit later in the twenty fourteen draft, coming off of a, an ACL tear in his senior year at Oklahoma. Um, so not encouraging there for for Aaron Colvin, but. Golden Tate looked really, really good in this game, and he's looked really good you know, for most of last season and, and earlier this preseason. No Megatron, so he's basically been functioning as the number one, and he was uh, on Friday. How much do you like him? I like Tate as one of those like solid wide receiver twos you can get in a full-point PPR league. A lot of times he falls later than he should because there's this overwhelming fear that with a healthy season for Megatron, his workload will fall considerably. I don't think that's the case. I think with Eric Ebron still being somewhat of a question mark as the primary tight end and really the lack of a third or fourth option you're going to throw to frequently, Tate should be there as far as getting eight-plus targets every single week. And I think there's going to be plenty of games where he gets at least double digits. So I like Tate this year based on the price. Kind of surprised he's not going a half round or a full round earlier in a lot of my drafts. Uh, one final box score oddity, I guess, from this game. Zach Zenner. Uh, fullback out of South Dakota State, eight carries for 85 yards. Um, he had 13 carries for 55 yards earlier this preseason and week one against the Jets. I mean, is this guy anything to, to really keep an eye on or just a preseason star we'll probably never hear from again? Yeah, probably more the latter. I mean, maybe there's a chance he hangs around if he can play special teams as like the fourth back guy that can do some things and kick return coverage or something along those lines. But uh, interesting preseason for him nonetheless. And uh, good, to, good to see the guy that probably had to sit in the very back line of gym class. Like, nice to see him doing well at the NFL level in the preseason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, New England 17, Carolina 16, another game from Friday night. Jimmy Garoppolo looked good again for the second straight week. 13 of 17, 126 yards, and a touchdown for him. Tom Brady struggled, 7 of 13, 84 yards. Did have a touchdown, but also threw three picks. Um, Obviously not much of a quarterback controversy here as we still await what's going to happen with Brady. It sounds like a decision should come. Um, on his on his appeal on Tuesday or Wednesday yep finally Tuesday or Wednesday uh, no settlement was reached so who knows probably more appeals coming regardless of the outcome but uh, at least the next step unfolding here in the next day or so Uh, no Gronk in this one so it's hard to even grade out what Garoppolo did even though it was impressive without Gronk I don't expect to see him in the Patriots last preseason game either Uh, Cam Newton stayed upright for the most part 17 for 28 160 yards and a touchdown uh, kind of just a standard preseason game for week three, though, where the starters do see a decent amount of work, but you can't really read too much into it. The only question I have, and it's not one we can really even answer right now, is who steps up if Devin Funches's hamstring injury uh, lingers? I mean, they, they're already thin at that position. Have to wonder if as rosters get cut down, if they may be going after other teams' depth options on waivers. Yeah, and you know the guy who caught the touchdown from Cam Newton in this game was Mike Tolbert, so maybe he's the guy they start splitting out wide. Mike Tolbert has the build of an Ikea bookshelf. I, I, that's accurate. I've only been to Ikea once, and I don't, I don't recall seeing any Mike Tolbert-shaped items, but that's, that seems fair. But, he, but he's more durable, I mean, for sure. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. An Ikea bookshelf wouldn't last as long as Mike Tolbert has in the NFL, so good for him. But I love how his jersey fits, too. He always seems to be wearing like a different jersey than anyone else. It, it just seems like looser. Like, it's I don't like know a if custom to, like, fit? It's like a custom, yeah, like a... Like, what size is your jersey? Oh, it's, it's a Tolbert. You just have to, it, if you like spread it out, it just, like, perfectly conforms to his body. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's almost like they, they cut one jersey in half, like, right up the middle, and right. then sewed in, like, another half jersey. You yeah. know, it takes three to make two for him or something exactly. like that. Uh, but I, I like Tolbert in the sense that I, I like random players like that. Mm-hmm. The only downside is he really kind of hoses Cam Newton owners on a regular basis. And I think Jonathan Stewart owners can get pretty frustrated by Mike Tolbert at some point this year, too. Yeah, Absolutely. Final game from Friday night was Kansas City 34, Tennessee 10. A decent game from Marcus Mariota, uh, 7 of 11, 99 yards. No touchdowns, but I think Tennessee probably saw what they were looking for in this one as he continues to be efficient, if nothing else, in pretty limited action. Three carries for 22 yards is definitely intriguing. Finally getting to see the legs that you know, we heard so much about and that he showed off so often at Oregon. No David Cobb for Tennessee in this one. Um, so, you know, I think they, they lean on Bishop Sankey and, you know, a host of other 
basically random backs at this point. But I think that that appears to still be a two-horse race between Cobb and Sankey at this point, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, Dexter McCluster probably gets a handful of touches, but more of that's going to come in the passing game. Mm-hmm. A nice performance from Kendall Wright, three catches for 60 yards. Kept to wonder, after being a huge volume guy two seasons ago, if there may be more consistency from him and just a, a nice bounce back. Maybe he's a 70 or 75 catch player this year as the primary option for Marcus Mariota. Yeah, and if the Titans are moving the ball well enough and they're getting you know, the time of possession that they need, I think that might be the case just by default. And we don't know what we're going to get out of Green Beckham at this point, so I think Wright is a slightly safer option, if nothing else. Looking at the San Francisco side of things, or excuse me, the Kansas City side of things, Alex Smith, 16 of 18, 171 yards and two touchdowns, one of those going to Jeremy Macklin. And Aaron Murray, the backup, 15 of 20, 146 yards, two touchdowns for him. So both quarterbacks very sharp against that Tennessee defense. Limited stats for Jamal Charles. He's one of those guys that's just not going to play a lot in the preseason. We'll probably see a similar workload in week four. Uh, I mentioned Jeremy Macklin, seven catches, 65 yards for him. One guy I wanted to mention was Fred Williams. I think he's currently listed as the number nine receiver on the San Francisco depth chart on our website Five catches for 62 yards and two touchdowns in this one. He had six catches and 82 yards in week one, also a touchdown in that game against Arizona. Like I said, he's way down on the depth chart, but does he have any chance to to kind of emerge as a, as a fifth guy just, for, just based on preseason production alone? Yeah, I mean, it's possible that he just makes the roster and ends up earning an opportunity to be the second or third receiver by season's end simply because behind Macklin, everything's pretty wide open. So I think performances like that do matter. Uh, they're not actionable in the sense that I wouldn't draft him in a 20-team league with normal-sized benches even right now, but he's worth keeping an eye on should that opportunity present itself over the course of this season. Right, and he's a former arena football guy who last played for the San Jose Sabercats, who, if I'm not mistaken, took home the Arena Bowl 2015 on Saturday night. Wow, congratulations to the Sabercats. I accidentally turned that on for about five minutes right <laughs> as the game was ending. turned it on? It was the saddest like championship scene I've ever seen. Like, First of all, I don't know where the game was being played, but there was not the crowd that should be there for what is the Super Bowl of arena football. And like half of the team was like ecstatic when when San Jose won. You know they showed the, the bench shot, and like the other half of the team just like walked off the field like it was a normal game. Um, somebody <laughs> tried to give the coach a Gatorade bath, and just the Gatorade tub slipped and like hit the coach on the shoulder, <laughs> and the Gatorade just like sadly spilled all over him. It was I don't know. It was just <laughs> not. Awful. It was about what I would expect, I guess, from an Arena Bowl uh, post game celebration, but. Yeah, congratulations from Rotowire to the San Jose Sabercats, your 2015 Arena Football Champions. Moving to Saturday's games, we'll start with Philadelphia and Green Bay. Eagles 39, Packers 26 in this one. Um, did you have a chance to watch this game? I did. I fell asleep right before halftime and into the third quarter. I was out in the sun for a little while on Saturday, so that, that just Fair. happens. I'm getting old. Like I'd, If I'm out in the sun during the day, the odds it's of me over. staying awake through a preseason game that night are, are pretty low. Uh, Packers' first-team defense was getting shredded. Sam Bradford looked really good in this one. Uh, really was just dropping the ball anywhere he wanted to uh, with, as far as the accuracy goes. I mean, through the one to Sproles, uh, but also did a good job staying in the pocket. Uh, Mark Sanchez even played pretty well in this one, better than he did against the Colts a couple weeks ago. I watched the Eagles' for a first game against the Colts, and Sanchez looked awful. Uh, no Rodgers, no, no Scott Tolzien for the Packers. We saw a lot of Brett Hundley, which was more good than bad. I mean, he made a few mistakes, had an ugly pick, and had a couple of their bad throws mixed in. But he went over 300 yards, had a couple of TDs. The question I had for you is when you were watching these receivers, Ty Montgomery and Jeff Janis and Miles White, all of whom produced pretty good yardage totals. Janis even got into the end zone for a TD. Did any of those three guys stand out to you as the clear-cut next option up as the third receiver. I mean, this is an interesting game, too, because the Packers lost Randall Cobb to a shoulder injury. He's probably questionable going into week one right now. I think they're saying it's more of an AC sprain than anything too serious, but it's at least uh, up in the air as far as whether or not he's going to be 100% for the opener. So they may have to go down to one of these guys as a starter, depending on how Cobb recovers. And either way, one of those three guys will be the third receiver. And that was a role in which Devontae Adams was being drafted as like a seventh or eighth round pick just a few weeks ago so do you see either any of these three guys standing out to begin the season it's interesting because we spent all last week kind of debating between Montgomery and Janice and then Miles White comes in with nine catches 89 yards on Saturday and kind of forces his name I think now into this debate but Ty Montgomery is probably the highest upside guy you know if Green Bay wants to go with 
the guy who's most capable of breaking off a big play. We saw he had a 52-yard reception, uh, basically on, on what was a, a pass over the middle, and just outran defenders for you know almost probably close to 50 yards after the catch on that one before he was caught at an angle from behind. So he's definitely the big play guy of those three. I think Jeff Janis is maybe the best from a possession perspective. He had a touchdown in this one from Hundley, and he also returned punts too. So I think it's going to be a combination of Montgomery and Janis where one guy isn't taking 90% of the snaps. You know, I think they're going to maybe split it 60-40. Um, I'd give the slight advantage to Montgomery right now. And then Miles White's going to be there as well. So like you said, Cobb is questionable for week one. It looked for a little bit there that it could. I, mean, I don't know if you, you – I'm sure you've seen the hit. I don't, I, were you still awake at that point? Yeah, I, I was still awake <laughs> in the first quarter. But the way he went down, it looked like the classic you know, broken collarbone that we've seen so many times, just to kind of falling directly on that shoulder. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that definitely put some fear into Packers Nation for a little bit there um, when he left the game in the first quarter. But it sounds like if he misses time, it's only going to be maybe one or two weeks. So, but like you said, for week one, if you're, if you're looking at it from a daily perspective, this all of a sudden becomes a pretty big game to keep an eye on because you know, if, he, if Cobb misses week one, then Ty Montgomery steps in as the number two receiver. He could be poised for a huge performance just because Rodgers will be there. And maybe Richard Rodgers, the tight end, ends up gaining the most value with these other injuries, with mm-hmm. Nelson being down, maybe he becomes the guy in the red zone who merges to take on extra targets. I mean, there's a lot of different ways this could still play out, but it just seemed like all three of Montgomery, Janice, and White showed pretty well, and I didn't come away with a lot of clarity, but I came away a little more optimistic kind of seeing them all show off their various skills. Right, and if you're Green Bay, I think this is an ideal result. I mean, maybe Maybe you want somebody to emerge as that number one guy, but when you have three guys who all played really well, I mean, it makes the decision a little bit harder, but it's also nice to have the luxury of multiple options and not just having to, to lean on one guy while, while other guys are falling back. Um, just to touch back on Hunley quickly, I thought he looked really good. Started off a little shaky. You mentioned the pick. That was a bad decision by him to throw that ball, but Richard Rodgers also slipped out of his route and basically fell at the feet of the defender who brought it back for a touchdown. Um, you know, Hundley was a little late on the throw. You know, a, a good, experienced NFL quarterback doesn't make that throw after after his receiver slips, but still not a horrendous decision when your receiver's going down. But yeah, 22 of 31, 315 yards and two touchdowns for Hundley. I don't know if it matters who the ba- Packers' backup quarterback is, but Hundley looks to have maybe a little more upside than Scott Tolzien. Yeah, I would agree with that at this point. I, I think the issue, though, is that if, if Rodgers were to go down, I, I feel like the Packers would be more comfortable with Tolzien's experience right now seems like they would actually keep three quarterbacks based on yeah. what we're seeing right now. I think that's that's definitely a possibility for this roster. Yeah, absolutely. Buffalo 43, Pittsburgh 19. We already touched on the big news after this game, Tyrod Taylor being named the starter. He finished 12 of 13 for 122 yards, also had a 20-yard rush in this one. Um, we've already talked about his ability to extend plays. That's not really something that um, EJ Manuel or Matt Castle offer. Manuel was actually good in this game, 7 of 8, 170 yards and two touchdowns for him. Um, so I thought it was a little bit interesting that they made this call um, you know, when both players played so well, but I guess it maybe speaks to how much better Tyrod's been performing in, in practices. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely the case. I think with Tyrod Taylor, again, he gives them the best chance to win games in the postseason if he can develop and play well. Uh, as far as this game goes, and there wasn't a ton to take away for me, uh, Martavis Bryant continues to show that big playability, but we're waiting to hear uh, as far as the appeal of his four-game suspension for a positive test for marijuana. So I, I don't really know like what they're going to do if they're missing Bryant those first few weeks. Are they going to roll with DHB in that spot or Sammy Coates or somebody else, or is it going to be even more targets for Antonio Brown? Yeah, I think it's even more targets for Antonio Brown. I think Marcus Wheaton gets a slump, a slight bump. Um, and then it's Sammy Coates and Hayward Bay kind of battling for that third spot. I talked with Jerry Donabedian on, on our DFS podcast about this situation on Friday. And you know, we both came to the conclusion that like, does, does Martavis Bryant really have much of a case here? Like, I don't know what he's appealing. The, <laughs> the implica- like When you're suspended, um, you know, when you're facing a four-game suspension, that means that he's had at least one previous positive test, right? Um, so I don't know what leg he really has to stand on here, I'd, like unless you take like a Ryan Braun stance and try to call out the the collection, the, the sampler or something. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know what he's really appealing. So I mean, do, do you have any any light to shed on that? No, I mean I I'm surprised that it's even at the point where he's still able to appeal this. It just seems like it'd be kind of locked in, especially given the league stance on marijuana. Yeah, exactly, and I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'd like to know the details of his appeal. I don't expect him to get anything reduced. I expect him to be off the field for the first four weeks of the season. Is, I mean, is that realistic? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's where they're at. Yeah. yeah, 
Uh, and I'd, yeah, I'd be surprised if, it, if it's any different. Only one series for Ben Roethlisberger in Saturday's game. Mike Vick, 4 of 5, 106 yards for him. He looked pretty good. But again, this is Big Ben's job, and Mike Vick's just there for insurance. Um, Martavis Bryant did play well in this game, 138 yards and a touchdown. Um, Dree Archer returned both kicks and punts. Um, a big return man star in college, three kick returns as a senior at Kent State, won the year before that. Didn't really see much time in that role at all last season, but you know, one of the speedsters in the league. Definitely an, a guy to keep an eye on if he somehow works his way into you know, a minor role with the offense just because of what he provides in special teams. Obviously, that's a, a very deep league option, but a name to keep an eye on nonetheless. Um, Kenzel Doe, former Badger, made an appearance in this game. <laughs> returning former three Badger. Punts. So, former Badger's well below average punt returner is now returning punts in the NFL preseason, so that was great to see. Um, Miami, ah, excuse me, Miami, 13, Atlanta, 9. Extremely ugly game from Saturday night. Limited Ugh. time for Matt Ryan in this one. Tevin Coleman made his NFL debut. Four carries for just two yards. Um, obviously limited time for him as well. Devontae Freeman didn't play with a hamstring injury. This is a pretty bad game overall when you look back at the results. I mean, Jarvis Landry was pr- productive. I don't have Jarvis Landry anywhere. Could be a blind spot in my portfolio as far as missing out on him because at least in PPR leagues, it seems like he might be that go-to receiver for Tannehill this year. We finally got to see Jay Ajayi. He had seven carries for 25 yards. Lamar Miller had six for 22, but not much in this one uh, really stood out. I mean, the Browns crushed the Bucks. The Bucks have some pretty bad offensive line issues, and Jameis Winston uh, was playing with a sprained ankle. Played into the third quarter in this one. He's supposed to be 100% for the opener against the Titans, but he just went 6 of 15 for 90 yards and a pick. I think Mike Evans had to sit this one out. I think that's a big deal. If the Bucks are without Mike Evans, that's going to hurt Jameis Winston a lot. Yeah, absolutely, and they're they're somewhat devoid of other weapons, you know, when or at least primary weapons when Mike Evans is out. And yeah, Jameis downplayed the ankle injury after the game. Um, you know, it sounded like they were kind of trying to keep it on, on the down low that he was even dealing with that until OC Dirk Cutter brought it up. Um, I don't know if that justifies Jameis playing poorly in this game, but either way, I don't think we'll see much of him in Week Four as they try to make sure he's 100% for the opener. Yeah, I definitely think we'll see very limited snaps for him in the preseason finale. Also, in this one, Duke Johnson suffered a concussion. It's been a rough preseason for him. Had the hamstring injury previously. Probably opens up some more touches for Isaiah Crowell to begin the season. Yeah, and I really like Duke Johnson. I think a lot of people do. As I think that was great value for them. I think he went 55 overall in the. Uh, in the in the third round i'd have to be later than that i guess um but yeah just one carry for four yards before leaving this game um you know a guy that once he gets healthy you think would maybe factor into this running back battle but for now it looks like he might be a couple weeks out from even that being the case yeah it it could be i mean it could be mid-season before duke johnson actually gets a chance to start in cleveland all right next game minnesota 28 dallas 14 perfect night for two minnesota quarterbacks teddy bridgewater seven of seven for 76 yards just played a couple series and then taylor heineke heineke sure sure 11 of 11 83 yards he's a rookie out of quarterback factory old dominion um you know not a lot to talk about from this game mike wallace played well we did have a duan harris sighting um who somehow had three carries for negative one yards but some but had an eight yard run in there that's pretty amazing so, so we have one carry for eight yards and two carries for negative nine yards. A minus five and a minus four, I think, is what you'd have to have, right? Got to go, gotta go I mean, negative nine a, on two. Yeah, it plus could be a eight. minus eight and a minus one too. That's I just, bad. We should have to go back and look at that. But yeah, that's tough to do. Got um, to review the tape on that one. Uh, mm-hmm. Terrence Williams had a long TD in this he one. He's kind of like a forgotten guy as far as a, a sleeper, maybe a year ago that people really don't seem that excited about anymore. Do you like him as the number two receiver in that offense? I don't not like him. That's for sure. I think he's he's as, as much of a big play threat as they have. And what, you know, once Dez is back opposite him, I think that frees up. You know, the, the opponent's number one cornerback or number one D back is going to be all over Bryant. So I think Williams kind of has the benefit of of being opposite such such a great receiver on the other side. Um, yeah, I do like him a lot. I think we'll we'll see if Tony Romo can kind of carry over the the groove he was in for almost all of last season. I think obviously that helps Terrence Williams' value. Um, another receiver in this game, someone named Lucky Whitehead caught a touchdown for the Cowboys Uh, and I looked him up and he actually played second base for the Washington Senators in 1904 Hmm, seems like a mark in favor of reincarnation doesn't it it does I I just is he the first lucky in the NFL since I mean it's got to be three four decades right I can't remember any other luckies in the NFL in my lifetime doesn't mean it hasn't happened maybe like a preseason or a practice squad type guy but Mm -hmm. certainly the first one I've ever seen score a touchdown in my life 
Yeah, so lucky Whitehead jerseys flying off the shelves in, in Dallas Walmarts, I'm sure. Darren McFadden, four carries for 37 yards in this one. Joseph Randall, six carries for just 15 yards. So that, that RB situation still a little bit cloudy as McFadden is finally healthy. Yeah, it really is. The Jets and Giants game together, Jets winning this one 28-18. I'm just happy to see Odell Beckham on the field. He had five catches for 31 yards. I am wondering if James Jones, with Victor Cruz banged up, could maybe reprise his Green Bay red zone role a bit with all the attention being focused on guys like Beckham, uh, Larry Donnell, and Ruben Randall. Maybe he's useful in close. I'm curious to know why anyone's drafting Andre Williams. Seems like he's buried there. You've got Shane Vereen uh, behind Rashad Jennings. Those two guys should take on most of the workload, so unless one of them gets hurt, I have no understanding as to why you'd want Andre Williams on your roster. And I also wondered if the Jets as a whole maybe are a little bit underrated. Chris Ivory, to me, could be a top 20 running back this year. I mean, you got Marshall and Decker now on the outside. Fitzpatrick and, and Geno Smith should at least be like average in terms of their ability to throw in this offense. Offensive line isn't bad. Defense is good. Should play a lot of good close games. He should have a good balance between run and pass this year after they were pretty much the most run-heavy team in the league a year ago. Yeah, and, and by way of that, I think Ivory's value it does go up a little bit. He does have to compete with Zach Stacy though. Um, I mean, which of those guys is the number one guy going into week one? Do they even have a number one? I think it's Ivory. He's clearly their number one back, but I do think Stacy looks like the solid number two right now. Nice performance from him on Saturday night. Cincinnati 21, Chicago 10. Andy Dalton left this one with neck soreness. Doesn't really appear to be much of a problem for him. Um, and I wanted to ask you, is Gio Bernard an afterthought um, you know, as a PPR guy for, for a second running back? He fell a long way in the best ball draft today, which seems like a format where you'd want a guy like that who could go off and catch six or seven balls in a given week, maybe score a couple times on long TDs. But uh, with Jeremy Hill's rise towards like late first-round status, Bernard seems like he's kind of falling into that round seven, round eight range. In many drafts, I, th- I think it makes sense, though. I think Jeremy Hill has elite skills, and he proved last year he doesn't need Bernard to come in and replace him on passing downs. He can actually be in every down back. So it seems like it's warranted thus far as far as the downgrade for Giovanni Bernard goes. Jay Cutler looked decent in this one for Chicago. 13 of 17, 98 yards, did take two sacks. No touchdowns, no interceptions there. Jimmy Clausen and David Fales ended up finishing that one out. So just... Great quarterbacks after great quarterbacks coming into the game for Chicago. Dalton did finish 6 of 6 for 52 yards uh, before leaving with a neck injury. What's going on with the Chicago backup running back situation? Jeremy Langford, 6 carries for 17 yards in this one. Um, Kadeem Carey, just 2 carries for (laughs) for 7 yards. Is Langford kind of taken over for Carey at this point? It seems like Langford has just a ton more upside. I think 40 touchdowns in two seasons at Michigan State since Le'Veon Bell left, a guy that went for like 2,800 yards during that time. I like Langford quite a bit more than Kadeem Carey at this point. This Bears team is one that every week I look at the box score, I look at the highlights, I don't learn anything new about them. They just seem like they're in a holding pattern overall. Matt Forte's value is falling. There's a lot of questions as to whether he can regain his per carry efficiency and the workload, of course, as a pass catcher is likely to come down with Mark Tressman gone and with Jacquez Rogers there. Just seems like a strange year coming up here for the Bears. Uh, Redskins 130-113 over Baltimore. We talked about RG3 earlier. Uh, Matt Jones continues to impress, though, as the backup running back behind Alfred Morris. He had seven carries for 57 yards in this one. I like him as a late-round dart. Ravens running backs didn't play all that well in this one. Buck Allen and Justin Forsett both struggling. But Steve Smith is still good. Also got tossed from this game, I think, for a fight, so you got to like that. Uh, still, still very feisty, even at an old age, but still, I think, has better skills than people give him credit for. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this before the podcast. He doesn't look any different for being, is he 36 now? Yeah, I think he's he 35, 36 yeah, years he, old. He, yeah, he looks like the same guy who... Played for Carolina for all those years. You know, an, a great freak athlete for his size. A guy who still goes up and challenges any defender for any ball that's in his vicinity. Um, obviously, as we saw in, on on Saturday, he still has as much competitive fire as anybody in the league. Did you see the play that sparked that little mini brawl? I didn't. I didn't see that. It was weird. I it was it was a play that I don't think I've ever really seen. It, it almost was. Uh, you remember the Rolando McLean suplex? three four years ago <laughs> yes. um it wasn't quite that bad but it was it was like that but from a different angle so I, hmm. I don't know who it was caught a pass for baltimore and some linebacker for for washington came up and like wrapped him up from behind and you know instead of just taking him down like he was you know the, the receiver was kind of on his way down he just picked him up and like drove him into the ground um almost like it almost like used him as a shovel i guess and just like just slammed his like shoulder and, and head into the ground 
Um, and you know, obviously Baltimore didn't like that. I think uh, Jim Harbaugh or uh, John Harbaugh, excuse me, came running on, across the field, ended up getting in a shouting match with Jay Gruden over that. Like you said, Smith was ejected. So a little bit of an ugly scene. We don't even need to touch on the Washington portion of this. I think we already covered that uh, with the RG3 talk earlier. Um, oh, by the way, John Harbaugh would have killed Jay Gruden in that fight. Yes. Jay Gruden would have died. Yeah, I mean, they were within four or five feet of each other. I mean, I think Harbaugh wanted to go after him, but the refs quickly <laughs> stepped in and then rushed him back to the other sideline, unfortunately. Seattle 16, San Diego 15, preseason Seahawks. Still boring. Still not still, a lot to look at there. Still very boring. Melvin yeah. Gordon, after missing week two, back in week three, 14 carries for 34 yards, plus two catches. Brandon Oliver had a 70-yard reception. I mean, this is Melvin Gordon's job. We know that. How much are you worried about him being off the field in passing situations with Woodhead and Oliver on this roster. I like that he caught a balls and caught a couple balls in this one though. I mean, like I think it is a concern because both Oliver and Woodhead can do it. It's just a matter of how much of the missed time for Gordon this preseason has cost him those snaps early in the year. Maybe he takes on more of an every down look as the season unfolds. Maybe the health of Woodhead and Oliver actually plays into that a little bit. I don't think it's an Alfred Morris situation as far as the receptions go, but I wouldn't expect more than 20 to 25 catches from Melvin Gordon this year if those two backs behind him stay healthy. And are you concerned at all by you know, Gordon's perceived, I guess, lack of explosiveness through these first two games? I mean, week one, I think, was very disappointing, and it almost seems like it caused him to fall in drafts, you know, looking at, looking at his ADP since then. Um, and there was a minor injury in there as well, so maybe that had something to do with it. But it's not like the Chargers weren't encouraged by how he ran the ball. Just you know, kind of seemed to have a little bit of jitters in Week One. You know, not reading cuts as well as he normally does. A little bit better. You know, 14 carries, only 34 yards though. Obviously, that's not great from a per carry average standpoint. Does this really worry you at all? No, Seattle's defense is legit. So I, I think this is really just the matchup. I mean, if he's running with the ones, he's going to face that Seattle front that can be really strong against the run. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about him as far as being a, an inefficient ball carrier this preseason. I think that's kind of an aberration. But uh, the role as far as the pass catching, definitely worth keeping a, a really close eye on here. Stevie Johnson could be a little bit underrated to begin the season. Four catches for 63 yards in this one. Could see just a lot more targets than he did a year ago playing in San Francisco. Maybe a deep league bench option if you have to start three receivers. Could be a guy that exceeds uh, expectations overall. Uh, the Colts won 24-14 over the Rams. Andre Johnson hauled in a 31-yard touchdown catch in this one. I'm still not sure I buy Philip Dorsett over Dante Moncrief. I think that they invested a first-round pick in Dorsett probably means they do like him and he will contribute at some point. Uh, I think both of those guys are going to kind of split that role, though. Maybe more of a matchup-based decision week-to-week week as far as who gets more targets. Yeah, I think Dorsett's the, going to be the guy long-term, but you know, as a rookie, it's kind of nice to have the luxury of saying, you know, we, we're set enough that we can make you our fourth option on some weeks. So definitely not a situation where they're going to throw him into the fire too soon. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Nick Foles was actually sharp in this one. I, I don't really know if that's going to happen at all when the games count. I just expect him to be a disaster this year. Maybe I'll be wrong. Uh, they've also got an injury issue in St. Louis behind, uh, or along with Todd Gurley. Trey Mason has a hamstring injury. He had four carries for 12 yards in this game. He's kind of questionable now going into week one. So Benny Cunningham may be in position to get a significant role in the opener, depending on how Mason recovers from this week's injury. Yeah, the Foles-Cunningham duo uh, in the backfield there for St. Louis could be ugly for a couple weeks if, if that's what it takes before Stacey and Gurley are back. Um, Denver and San Francisco, Denver 19, San Francisco 12. Really anything noteworthy in this game? No, not too much. I mean, even Cody Latimer, who you'd like to see do a little more, had one catch for four yards. He's the guy that I'm tracking as a depth player in Denver. I mean, if Emmanuel Sanders or Demarius Thomas went down, I think Latimer could be interesting, but I'd like to see him produce more even in a more like kind of meaningless setting like this just to know that he's getting on the same page uh, with Peyton Manning Colin Kaepernick 53 yards on the ground Carlos Hyde four carries for 28 yards but otherwise not much to note from this one nope Peyton Manning looked all right 14 of 21 for 124 yards and a pick Brock Osweiler actually did look quite good though 15 of 20 for 104 yards and I, I really wanted to swear off saying his name but Blaine Gabbert 9 of 11, 96 <laughs> yards, and maybe his best NFL performance to date for, for uh, San Francisco. My apologies. You had to watch him for as long as he did. <sighs> I, had, I brought it upon myself. I have no one to blame but myself. Houston 27, New Orleans 13 as we take a look at the two games from Sunday. Um, another fairly uneventful game. We're still waiting to see um, you know, what this Texan situation is going to be. Um, we 
question marks at quarterback, question marks at running back. The defense is really all that we can kind of take pride or they can take pride in, I guess, at this point. Yeah, I think this is going to be the league's best fantasy defense, so that is encouraging. Maybe the defense you go a couple rounds earlier than your last round pick to go get. You know, you get in the 12th, 13th round of a 16-round draft. If they're still out there, go ahead and pay up for them because you can turn them out there every week and, and feel pretty good about it. Alfred Blue had a TD in this one, but he wasn't great overall. Four carries, 12 yards. I'm just not sold on him as a lead back. I think it's going to be a pretty even timeshare with Polk taking all the third down carries, maybe even some more than that. Uh, Blue playing mostly on first and second down until Arian Foster comes back. Uh, Cardinals, 30-23 winners over the Raiders. Any takeaways in this one, Nick? Is there anything at all here? I mean, I've seen uh, some pretty heavy praise from our colleague Jerry Dunabedian on Amari Cooper. I just don't know how much he's going to be able to do in year one, especially with Derek Carr as his quarterback. I think he's a lot more valuable in full-point PPR formats than the non-PPR settings. But overall, I I don't have any shares of Amari Cooper yet, and I'm not going to be sad unless I miss out on him in my keeper league. Yeah, I, th- I think I saw on Twitter Jerry compared him to was it a mix of Jerry Rice and Chris Carter? Yeah, it was it was a, um, it was a crazy. Co- so I mean, about the highest of praise, high, but, very but high same, praise. But at comp. the same time, you know, it's it's too early to anoint Amari Cooper as a mix of Rice and Carter. But he's you know a, a high first round pick and a guy that when you when you take that high, you know, that's the upside. You know, that's not that's not unrealistic for him to reach at some point. Um, I just don't know if we're going to see enough of that this season. Like you said, Derek Carr, a good but not not elite quarterback, not a guy who's going to to really make a rookie that much better. So a lot of it is going to be what can Amari Cooper do to get himself open. Um, yeah, he did that well in this game, an excellent route runner. We saw a couple times he, he was able to, to make a move on Patrick Peterson, make a catch, and then kind of and shed him after that. Um, four catches, 62 yards. He finished with nine targets. He's going to be the number one guy there, but like you said, it all comes down to how good can Derek Carr be at getting him the ball where it needs to be. I like him a lot in a best ball format. I kind of wish I would have got him in today's draft that I did because then you don't have to know when exactly he's going to get a matchup he can fully take advantage of. I think long-term, he could become a a top 10, top 15 overall type receiver. I just think you're going to see a lot of inconsistency for him in week one, even though he's very talented. Trent Richardson was leading rusher for Oakland in this one. Five carries, 19 yards, but his longest carry was 15 yards, which means he had four carries for four yards. So other than that 15-yard run, uh, I mean, I guess we can call it a scamper for, for Trent Richardson. But uh, back to uh, the same old, same old for him, other than that one, that one carry. If you're out for the evening and you've been drinking, get a ride, call a cab, or find some other safe way home because getting arrested for drunk driving can cost you a lot more than an arrest and a fine. You could face legal fees, court costs, the loss of your license, and much more. Right now, cops all across the country are cracking down on drunk driving, and they'll see you before you see them. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, Derek, you know what that means. It is time for our safe sleeper pick of the day, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. As you know, a handful of us will be downing beers at our fantasy football drafts, which leads to bad decisions in the later rounds or worse decisions like getting behind the wheel afterwards. That said, today's safe sleeper pick is... It's Kendall Wright. It's got to be a full-point PPR league, but you think more about this guy being a 94-catch guy in 2013. Uh, Six TDs last year in just 14 games. Sustained a kind of average or slightly below average yards per target mark at 7.7. But he's playing with the best quarterback he's played with so far as an NFL player. Uh, 10 catches of the 57 from last year went for 20 or more yards. So I think there is a little bit more big playability than we might give him credit for. I'm not crazy about him as a guy that's going to break out and win you your league, but as far as someone you can safely throw in there uh, as your third receiver in a 14-team league where you're starting, uh, again, three every week, but you get the full point for every catch, I think Kendall Wright can rebound and be kind of a nice mid-round value this year. Yeah, absolutely. All right, anything else you want to touch on from week three of the preseason? No, I think we can close the book on it. Not as exciting as a typical week three, I think, because of all the injuries, a lot of teams being really cautious, holding their star players back. So uh, week four, probably just going to be more of looking at a handful of guys on the roster bubble. And I'm just looking forward to the games finally beginning to count a week from this Thursday. Yep, all 15 teams are in action on Thursday this week. Um, And that basically clears everything up for the start of the college football season this weekend. Um, I don't know. Are you a big college football guy? I am. I, I, I like watching Oregon. I think they're kind of appointment TV now. Especially, yep. I love when they play like a, like an eight or nine o'clock game oh, yeah. here uh, in the Midwest. You can watch them after the Badger games over for the day. A little worried about that Wisconsin Alabama opener. To be completely honest, I think Bama might stomp them. 
I am too. Um, but but to be fair, I also thought we were gonna, um, you know, Wisconsin was gonna be stomped by LSU last season, and they ended up making that uh, a competitive game. And I think Alabama's in a, somewhat of a similar situation to LSU last year in that they don't know who their quarterback is gonna be. They don't have a proven quarterback on that roster. However, they do have the luxury of basically choosing between three blue chip recruits. Yeah, so that's 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 it's like not, that's, it's that's not your Bama, typical right? quarterback controversy. Yeah, it's it's about as good as uh, of a situation as that gets. I'm excited for Minnesota TCU on Sunday too to finally see Travone Boyk and what he can do now in the second year behind that great offense. So a lot to look forward to this week, both on the college and professional level. Thanks for listening to the Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast, which is brought to you by DraftKings.com. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. Be sure to use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you make your DraftKings deposit for a free contest entry today. Also, check out ROTOWIRE free for 10 days. You can do that by going to rotowire.com slash pod. All right, thanks again for listening. We will be back with you on Tuesday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.